Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. In this episode of the HR Chat Show, we'll delve into the relationships HR pros have with group benefit brokers, ways leaders can get more from their investments, and how group benefits help to ensure a happier workforce. Our guest this time is Roger Thorpe. Roger is president of the integrated benefits and wellness consulting company, Thorpe Benefits. Roger, welcome to the HR Chat Show. Thanks, Bill. Happy to be here. Firstly, please introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about Thorpe Benefits. Sure. Uh, Well, I'm Roger Thorpe. I'm the president of Thorpe Benefits. We're an integrated benefits and wellness consulting company um, that's focused um, on mid-sized businesses, um, mature companies that have HR and finance roles that typically are ready to upgrade from the traditional broker model. Um, we like to say that we, we understand and know benefits inside out. It's an area that we think is so complicated and changing that it requires a lot of focus. Um, so that's why our, our company is a specialist versus a generalist. And we, we have all of our resources, people and processes focused on, on employee benefits only. Um, so yeah, that's become quite a strategic advantage for us in the market. So the show today is all about the relationship between uh, HR pros and uh, benefit specialists. So let, let's now delve into some of those more specific questions. Firstly, what kind of expectations do most HR people have when dealing with a group benefits broker or consultant? And what services and products do they generally expect to receive? Yeah, good question. Um, actually, you know, it's funny. The expectations are are not much. There's there aren't many, <laughs> uh, or at least when we we ask people in HR to articulate the, what their expectations are, they often don't have much of an answer. So I have to say, the expectations are often just based on the experience they've had in working with a typical broker service model. Uh, and, and most of that expe- expectation is for a meeting at renewal and to have their calls returned. So, and I think the reason that they've maybe settled for that is that they're very busy. Um, they, they, uh, in terms of uh, communication with the consultant, uh, it's kept minimal. Um, it's often just an opportunity to set and forget benefits and work on other priorities that they have, right? And that's obviously not necessarily the right strategy for managing benefits. Okay, thank you. Now, are HR people generally satisfied with their group benefits advisors? And if so, why is that the case? And if not, uh, what could be done to improve it? Yeah, again, we we ask that question a lot um, with every HR professional that we meet. Um, and in most cases, the answer is yes, we're satisfied. However, once we ask how they determine their satisfaction or how they measure the success of that relationship, we often don't get much of an answer. So um, I think it has a lot to do with what people are uh, used to getting versus what they deserve to get. Um, so that means there's a lot of room in the marketplace for people to raise the bar um, on on that service level. Now, at what stage or what growth stage of a company, Roger, should should companies be looking to revisit their benefits broker or consultants uh, and, and the relationship that they have with them? And, and, and why is that important? Yeah, I, I, we like to look at it as the maturity level of a company um, and 
to, that's what defines the stage that, of when they're ready um, to delegate, you know, the responsibility below, say, the ownership level. Um, they're really tasking the senior HR people and finance people um, to hire the best vendors and advisors that they can get. Um, and that's often why we're brought uh, to the table uh, to compare or, or to look versus what they've been used to. So it often means that they do have to move on or break up with a broker that, that was there for years. Um, but mostly that's based on uh, that past connection to the organization, not really based on business value. So, you know, it's it's essentially an opportunity for an upgrade um, from what they were doing. And, you know, breaking up is not easy, but it's oftentimes the right thing to do. Um, so, um, I mean, and when you think about it, these people are, are given a, a job to maximize the investment of the benefit plan in the company. Um, and they want to partner with someone that's going to cover them and, and, and help them make that happen. Um, so pretty important relationship. Yeah. And I, I, I guess that, um, uh, it, it trickles down in, in terms of other effects on the company, right? If, if you've got the right benefits and you're much more likely to have happy and engaged and loyal employees. Um, and conversely, if, if you get it wrong, um, you, you could risk the, losing your top talents or um, not hitting targets if it's uh, a particular uh, department like sales with commissions and so on and so forth uh, tied to their benefits. It, it, it's a really essential piece that perhaps is overlooked by a lot of companies. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. It's easy to leave it alone and not really use it as a tool. So, um, But again, if you're not putting in the time and work and effort to uh, communicate it to employees, uh, to sell the value, to maybe design it more effectively, it really can be a detriment uh, to the reward structure. So you're right. It can be it can be um, something that employees potentially resent versus something that they really talk about as as a as a key part of why they stay. And I guess it also reinforces the employer brand in terms of attracting the best talent in the first place. Uh, if if me as a potential employee is looking at uh, my, my my next my next role in, in my career, and and I find a company that has an awesome benefits package, I'm, I'm that much more likely to to, to join them. Yeah, on the surface, they want to see for sure that there's a, a benefit plan that's protecting them and that's flexible for them in terms of a user experience. Uh, but I think what the, the big game changer that's changing that relationship with employer to employee is the offering of some sort of health promotion initiative. Uh, it really shows the employee that the employer cares about them and it's giving them you know, the chance to take better care of themselves. So, um, you know, wellness, if done, if it's done properly, uh, and we're huge believers in this, uh, it can really up the game when it's graded as part of that employee experience. Uh, and again, it's a matter of doing it properly, strategically, and not just sort of um, frill benefits that are kind of one-off experiences. Now, how often do you think... Uh, uh do HR directors generally evaluate their benefits program? And if they wanted to, how, how might they do that to determine if it is as effective as it can be? Um, do you see general trends with how often that's done? Is it something that mm -hmm. HR directors will try and leave alone as much as possible because they see it as complicated or actually is, is, is it part of a, an annual review process? Tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah, I think that, that that's the habit that HR uh, gets into because it is so difficult to manage everything they have on their plate. So it's the one thing that if they deal with at renewal and park it after that one hour meeting, um, then they can move on to other things. Um, and that's too bad because really they're only evaluating the plan on its renewal and its cost. Um, so um, it should be, you know, certainly a lot more than that. I'd say a, a great way uh, to evaluate it is really to go much, much deeper than that. And so we like, we think the best questions you can ask yourself around benefits and, and the and the and the success of it is around the employee experience. So not only does HR and finance feel have to feel really confident about what they're doing, but employees need to exhibit three things. They need to show that they understand the plan, that they appreciate it, and finally that they feel accountable to the cost of the plan. So uh, the way we measure that is often through employee surveys that can quickly tell us how uh, where the gaps are. And then once we do the surveys, we often can come back later and do some make some changes. And ultimately, it's the communication of the plan beyond that that makes the biggest difference. And I think that's where some companies fall short is they, they park the plan, but the employees are kind of left in the dark. Okay, so when when you guys are doing your surveys, uh, without mentioning any names, perhaps, are you able to offer any uh, any anecdotes and any examples of, of interesting, interesting things that you've found that perhaps uh, HR directors weren't aware of in terms of uh, what benefits were seen as worthwhile to employees, uh, which ones perhaps were viewed as more meritocratic, uh, which ones were uh, seen as essential, perhaps they, but not, not all employees were, were benefiting from those. Yeah, you know, it does uncover a lot, uh, especially because our survey also addresses, I may not have mentioned, the, the health uh, aspect of their experience. So what are they struggling with uh, in terms of their daily mental and psychological life? Um, you know, it uncovers things like they are uh, complete or generally sedentary in and outside the office. They're struggling with sleep. Um, they have not had an education on, on the fundamentals of, of nutrition, um, never had any training on their financial well-being. Um, so it, un it just basically uncovers a lot of that issue on the health side. But on the benefits side, we get a lot of misunderstandings, people who sort of say, I thought we had this or why don't we have that? Uh, when in truth, the plan is actually quite, say, attractive. It's just never been explained properly. People also resent having to pay for parts of the benefit plan without knowing why they do. So uh, they say, I pay for all this, my premium is deducted, and yet I never use the plan. So there has to be some education around that to make people understand how they're accountable and paying a share of the cost overall. Um, so, yeah, we uncover a lot um, of things that we need to know. Sometimes they're not nice things to know, but we have to bring them forward and, and address them. So uh, any top tips for, for HR leaders listening to the show today in, in terms of uh, educating their employees to, to get a better uh, understanding of, of uh, why they're paying into benefits and, and the benefits they're getting from those? Because just like you were saying a second ago, Perhaps sometimes there's a perception that a degree of their uh, their salary is going into certain benefits, but they, they're not seeing what they are. 
Um, mm-hmm. that, that sounds like it's the responsibility of, of the HR department to, to convey that better with, with the assistance of folks like yourselves. Uh, any top tips, Roger? Yeah, for, it starts with a communication strategy. I, I think every company obviously is different in terms of the demographic and, and how people like to learn. So we have to uh, consider that. Um, but we are huge on having layered approach. So our clients take advantage of our survey tools, um, do those when, when they need to, and then they turn that around every year with at least some sort of written statement around the plan, um, how it's renewed, how their cost share in that is affected. Uh, what's very powerful is to have a statement that shows what the employer is paying versus the employee. And often it's 100% employer and zero employee. And is a great reminder on paper every year that um, the employee is receiving this as an additional you know, benefit and cost. And they often forget that. And then, you know, what's most impactful are the live presentations we do. We get in front of employees and on behalf of the HR team, go through the plan, um, educate them on how to be a great consumer of that plan. Um, I mean, nowadays, even employees need to hear to be careful around the temptation uh, of fraud or what can be fraud. Um, So they need to hear that message. So our live sessions that we do constantly uh, go over very, very well, and HR people tend to feel better that we bring that message uh, than them. Uh, so yeah, strategically and tactically, uh, all of that makes a huge difference to the success of the plan. Okay, I just want to touch on that a little bit more with you. Um, what, what are some of the risks of fraud? Uh, let's spell that out for employees <laughs> who, who are thinking about maybe taking advantage of some of their benefits a little bit too much. What, 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 what can and can't they do? Uh, what, what are those red lines? Uh, but please, please share that with them so there's, there's no degree of uncertainty. Yeah, the the term fraud, you know, is on one end an extreme level of coercion between, say, a practitioner and an employee where they say have been reimbursed for a service they didn't receive. Um, We know in the media that there have been several of these situations where employees have been terminated for this. Um, So um, it is important that employees realize that if a practitioner does offer you Uh, something uh, like this, it will likely be discovered and it will lead to termination. Um, But the innocence of even a dentist or uh, a therapist, uh, like a practitioner saying, listen, I'll put this claim through for your spouse this time, or you've met maximum as I see here, so I'll put it through under a different therapy class if that clinic is able to do that. You know, carriers are getting smarter at figuring this out. And once practitioners are blacklisted, they start to investigate these claims. And certainly no one ever wants to be uh, exposed to the fact that, you know, they did this and ultimately terminated for it. So um, I always recommend to employees to say to ask the practitioner to explain the bill to them, never to be tempted to have a claim go through a separate family member Um, Because today, it's much more likely that that will be discovered and dealt with. That's what employers expect to have that type of fraud control in play. Okay, listeners, you have been warned. Right, uh, just finally for today, Roger, (laughs) how can can our listeners uh, connect with you and how can they learn more about Thought Benefits? Yeah, uh, probably initially check out the website at thoughtbenefits.com. 
and understand, you know, what we're all about, what we stand for, how we uh, integrate both wellness and benefits together in, a, in our service model. Um, and then on LinkedIn, my profile, I typically post um, a comment or an insight from time to time that isn't just a regurgitation of a fact, but oftentimes it's our position on an issue, whether it be national pharmacare, telemedicine, uh, medical cannabis, whatever it is that you want to understand uh, beyond just the facts of the story. So yeah, those are the two best places. Awesome. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Roger Thorpe, thank you very much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you. Happy to do it. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette. 